This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, a very special Hooniversity Challenge episode, as this time we are taking on the 10th Doctor, played by David Tennant, many people's favourite Doctor of all time. My name's Adam Hemming, and joining me, as always, is Neil Shepherd. Don't look at me. <laughs> so we're going to be, obviously we're going to be talking about spoilers, we're focusing on the episodes Blink and Midnight. I have watched a few other episodes as well. Before we get into those episodes specifically, Neil, what do you think it was that made David Tennant such a popular, successful Doctor Who? Wow. I think I think his his own what he brought to the character was really enjoyable. You know, that quirkiness, that ability to run off sentences and lines that make no sense, but they do in Doctor language, like scientific stuff which must have been a nightmare to learn he's only got lots of practice doing it i think it's also a combination of the new writers russell t davis had got himself going with christopher eccleson that kind of knew what he wanted out of the doctor that maybe he wasn't getting with christopher and so i think he was more practiced and the introduction of stephen moffat who writes blink that is possibly considered the best Doctor Who episode ever. I think, yeah, that combination of the showrunners working with David and David working with them, I think that is the secret of success. He's got that sort of quirky energy, definitely. And I think you're you're absolutely right. It is a great combination of performance, casting generally, and the writing of these episodes that we've watched. The comedic stuff, I think, is great. And his delivery of that stuff is brilliant. He's, he is a very good comic actor as well yeah. as a very good serious actor as well. But I also felt, having watched, I've I watched The End of Time as well and, and the first two River Song episodes, and I think he's got more humanity to him than mm. perhaps previous Doctor Who's have had. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Yeah, I think that's the new element that, that he brings to the table with, with this, particularly in those final couple of episodes that he does in the end. Well, they're not his final ones, ultimately, but no. <laughs> in this run of them, they are. Let's Well, let's kick off with Blink. Then, because that was the first one that we that we watched, and this one is special in a way that the, the Doctor doesn't really feature very heavily at all. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's one of those episodes that is so cleverly structured. You know, the the writing or the the episode it just lets you know what you need to know, but make you wonder what's happening. If that makes sense, and then slowly you get to piece it together. And that runs throughout the whole episode that the final piece of the jigsaw is given right at the end as to how everything happened in the way it did. I mean, we're jumping time periods here is the easiest way of kind of this is a time. We're not travel. The Doctor's stuck. The Doctor's stuck in 1969. And that's the point of the episode is how does he manage to get out without his TARDIS? And it's, it's the introduction of the Weeping Angels. Yes. Who are an alien... It's a while since I watched this episode, but they're an alien race and they can only change shape or form or move when they're not being observed. Yeah, they can only move when they're not being observed. They live off potential energy, is what um, the Doctor says. So they send you back in time, but they kill you kindly because they let you live to death. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. They send you back in time, basically, don't they? So, yeah. Uh, the is it Sarah Sparrow? Is that her name? The character? Yeah. Uh, is it Sally? No, Sally Sparrow. 
Sally Sparrow, played by Ka- Carrie Mulligan, and I did not yeah. recognise her at all until the credits came up. <laughs> Quite early on, her friend gets transported back in time, and then she gets delivered these letters from her, who's lived basically lived her whole life and and died. Uh, but yeah, and then it's the Doctor sort of sending messages back through the past, which he does through DVD extras, which I thought was a brilliant touch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, her friend is Kathleen Nightingale, and she gets transported to Hull in 1920. Yeah. We also had the lovely line of timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly stuff. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is the first time that was used, the timey-wimey bit. And it's just the way Tennant delivers it as well. He's just got that perfect delivery, a comic delivery of, of words like that. Yeah. I'll admit, I, I found the logic of the Weeping Angels a little bit lacking at times just in the way that they sometimes people weren't looking at them and they weren't moving and sometimes they were and yeah no but if somebody's looking at them yeah if somebody can see them they can't move yeah so it doesn't have to be everyone's looking at them as long as someone can see them yeah no i get it but i thought it was all it was all very very cleverly done as you say brilliantly written and crafted as a as an episode i wrote he's very open as a doctor that was kind of my first doctor observation about about Tennant. he's kind of open to things happening he definitely thinks on his feet and i'd love absolutely love the end of the episode you get this montage of all of these different statues <laughs> it must have made when it came out it must have made people terrified just <laughs> passing any statue yeah, no, that 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 was brilliant, and the way he the way he tricked them, the way he got them all in a circle, and then moved the TARDIS, and so then they were stuck. They were all looking at each other. So they were frozen as statues forever. So no, I thought that was, and also he describes them as a very kind of lonely alien or very lonely race because they can't interact with each other really because they can't look at each other either. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely, the sort of empathy that he had for them, even though they were doing all of this stuff. Should we talk about Midnight then? Yeah, I thought that was an excellent episode. I assume you chose it because it was also voted as one of David Tennant's best episodes? It was because it was another standalone episode, and okay. it was at, it was heavily features the Doctor. Like, he's, he's companionless in yes. this episode, so it's very much about him. Yeah, so no, that that you're absolutely right. That balances Blink. It's not as good as Blink, but it is a good episode. And this one was Russell T. Davis, so it just shows the difference between Stephen Moffat's approach and Russell T. Davis's, um, which becomes even more important as we move forward and Stephen Moffat takes over as showrunner from Russell T. Davis. So they're kind of like the two biggies. So good to have an episode from both of them. I liked it. I thought it built up tension really well. I loved the fact that Patrick Troughton's grandson or son david troughton was in it anyway who is a either son or grandson i can't remember a patrick troughton who obviously was the second doctor yeah so um i thought that was a nice little easter egg and they've done lots of that from you know having real life daughters of other doctors or partners etc in different episodes but no i thought it was really tense i liked a lot of the characters I was surprised. I didn't remember having seen Colin Morgan in it before. So that was a really nice, I guess, early on in his career. He went on to play Merlin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's done loads of different stuff at the National and so on. But Merlin is the thing he then got very famous for. But yeah, as you say, no companion. Donna decides she'd rather go to a spa whilst uh, he goes to see the Samphire Waterfall. 
Yeah, I can't really remember the, the plot of this. There's some creature that takes over Leslie Sharp's character. Yeah. Isn't there? And she's expect she's she's repeating everything that everyone is saying immediately after they say it. And again, the, the writing of this and the performance of this by everybody in the cast, I thought was was really cleverly done. Um, I thought it was she, really cleverly done. Yeah, she's repeating everything they say, and then she starts to catch up and say it at the same time as them. Yeah, she says it at the same time as them, and then she starts to say it before them. Yeah. So yeah, I was yeah, trying to Sharp. do what she was doing. <laughs> <laughs> You now. just look confused in your eyes. I think he hasn't got it, has he? No, I hadn't at all. But yeah, also Lindsay Coulson's in this one. A really brilliant mm-hmm. monster cast, I thought, here. And yeah, the unknown of what was outside was all was all brilliantly set up. Yeah, like again, my notes here were sort of cheeky, chucky, energetic, compassionate, reflective. But ultimately, it's his... There's, there's a moment where he says, I am the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's it's not born out of arrogance necessarily. I'm the one who's taking charge because I am the smartest person in the room. But in a way, his his own intelligence kind of works against him. What the creature is doing is turning everybody against each other. And when he's forced to admit he's cleverer than the rest of them, that puts up a divide between him and everyone else. Yes. And they try and get him out. But it's almost like, I mean, the Doctor does this so many times in, in the various episodes, but it's like he's prepared to sacrifice himself. Like when he allows the creature to transfix him, you know, it's, it's like he doesn't know whether that's going to work or not. However smart he is, he, he doesn't know because he hasn't come across a creature like this before. It's not like a Dalek that he knows what to deal with or a Cyberman. And even a Weeping Angel, he knows about them and he knows he knows how to think about getting getting things done but with this he had no idea so it's very brave of him but as you say very caring i guess human he has that curiosity doesn't he about something that he's not experienced or discovered before and tries to be compassionate towards it at all times, mm. threatened by it necessarily yeah well he's compassionate to a lot i don't think he's compassionate to the daleks and there's certainly other enemies he's come across that he's not at all compassionate with but i think that's obviously because he's got history with them yeah i mean the daleks are the ultimate trolls aren't they really it's just yeah. exterminate, exterminate. <laughs> there's not much <laughs> done with that <laughs> no. yeah any, anything any other thoughts that you had on blink and midnight as, as the two those two episodes great episodes I, I really enjoyed watching blink again because it's one of my favorite episodes and also the weeping angels do come back in future episodes in different storylines um and i think with different doctors as well so I, th- I think they're a great character really menacing it's got all the tropes of horror with them and the gothic particularly with the look of the angels very gothic like visually so yeah i i i love them what did you think of the two river song episode you've seen yeah i really i really really love these so the uh, first one was called silence of the library i can't remember yeah. the one they travel to this planet which is essentially all a library so every book that's ever been written is is on this planet but there's nobody there it's been abandoned and then river song shows up played by alex kingston with her little team yeah um she included uh, Steve Pemberton and, and O.T. Fagbenle, which is incredible <laughs> to see a young version of him in, in the Doctor Who. I mean, the other cast members in, in other parts of the show, sort of Colin Salmon, Sarah Niles from Ted Lasso. So, mm. yeah, again, brilliant ensemble casting. Great stuff. And two of River Song's team are called Dave. So there's proper Dave and other Dave. 
<laughs> this is how they tell them apart, which again I thought was a brilliant bit of comedy within there. But yeah, the, the Vashta Narada are the he describes them as the piranhas of the dark. So they live in mm. shadows and darkness. They've essentially come out of these books within the library, been awoken somehow, and the the computer in the library has saved everybody that was there and, and subsequently saves Donna. That essentially means, I think, transporting them into this sort of digital, unreal world where their consciousness is, is is basically transported somewhere else so it was all very very clever but the brilliant thing about it i think is the relationship between river song and the doctor yeah. right she comes from a timeline where she has had a significant relationship with the doctor but in the in david tennant the 10th doctor's timeline he hasn't met her yet so he doesn't recognize her he doesn't know her she's got this book her diary with all of these spoilers in Creaturely also doesn't recognise Donna, which concerns <laughs> Donna a little bit. It's it's a really, like, again, there's elements of horror in there because the Vashti Narada take over some of the people in there. Again, really good use of sort of repeated dialogue throughout it. The second episode of the two I thought was really beautiful. Her final meeting being their kind of first meeting, really. I mean, she does... Well, his first meeting, her last meeting. Yeah. Although it, it seems like she's been, her consciousness has been salvaged somehow by the end. I believe. Yeah, within the library, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the great thing about that setup, a bit like the same with Captain Jack, is that the character doesn't have to go away because they meet the Doctor at different points in timelines. So Captain Jack can do that anyway and because he's got it's a special watch and she's got something where she's able to time travel. She probably has the biggest part of her story with, with Matt Smith's doctor, although she's also with Peter Capaldi's doctor for a while. I can't remember whether she meets Jodie Whittaker. I think maybe she does. It's, it's great to have such an amazing and interesting character like her and like Captain Jack, who they can always bring back, even though they're dead. Well, they're, they're dead in a certain timeline. Yeah. Yeah, it was really lovely. The other bit I really enjoyed, or it was kind of heartbreaking in a way, was Donna's fake marriage. So while she's in the library, we kind of see her going through this relationship and there are a lot of time jumps for her. But at the end of it, she's kind of, she's you know, she's lived a life essentially with this guy and had kids. Mm -hmm. At the end of it, she's looking for him and can't see him. And just, just after they leave, he sort of looks around and calls her name. Yeah, really, really lovely, heartbreaking stuff. And then you say you watch The End of Time. Again, a great incarnation of The, of the Master. Just before, the, the final point I want to make about those River Song episodes was it was it was a great example of the chemistry between Catherine Tate and David Tennant. Yeah. They yeah. clearly loved working together. They bounced off each other really, really well. But, I mean, they, they were like bickering siblings. They also cared a lot for each other. No, they're really good casting. Yeah, so The End of Time... Uh, was my was my first viewing of John Sim as the master. And in this storyline, he's particularly manic. I don't know historically what he was in the earlier episodes with him. No, I don't think so. But he balanced David Tennant's manicness very well. So hence, he was the right master for David Tennant, I would say. In the same way that Missy is the right master for Peter Capaldi's. No, I thought John Sim was 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 amazing. Like the performance was was incredible. But Bernard Cribbins for me stole. Oh, yeah, yeah. So so good. You could tell this was a guy with so much 
experience and and he's worked in kids tv for a long long time but he's also done serious dramas as well and he balances that he, he judges it and pitches it so perfectly i thought this was an incredible performance from Bernard cribbins in these episodes yeah no absolutely and it was amazing to see him back in the christmas episodes well leading up to christmas episodes the specials with david tennant it was obviously very sad when he passed away but it was beautiful just kind of getting him because he's fantastic in all the episodes he's like a kind of regular kind of companion sometimes sometimes not no he's great yeah i thought it was and again like the the, the casting you had even had a bloke you had june whitfield but one of the other <laughs> one of the other what do they call themselves the I can't remember the name that they use, but it's something like the Silver Cloak or something. Their network of old people that they use to sort of find out where the Doctor is. <laughs> um, but one of them is Barry Howard from Heidi High. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> my God. And then you've got Timothy Dalton as the, the leader of the Time Lords. So the Time Lords yep. are all returning with nefarious intent. And then one of the aliens is played by Sinead Keenan who's took over from Nicola Walker and Unforgotten. So, yeah, just brilliant to see all of these people popping up. And actually, the uh, Elder Ood in this episode is voiced by Brian Cox. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's a really <laughs> tiny, tiny bit, little scene. But, yeah, they got Brian Cox to do the voice for it, which I thought was incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to be honest, Doctor Who knows how to do an end-of-series finale. Definitely. And this one was spectacular in that, well, the Master has superpowers, uh, which I thought was interesting. But also, I, I really loved the sort of knock four times. He's been told, he's, the prophecy has been that his death is going to come with a four knocks. And then the Master can also hear this knocking in his head. And that's been placed there by the Time Lords in his childhood. It represents the heartbeat of the Gallifreyans. And they have two hearts. So it's yeah. like that thing is the four, four beats of their heart. So, yeah, again, brilliant, brilliant writing all the way through it. But the Master uses this technology to basically replicate himself across the human race. So everybody in the human race turns into the Master. He's He turns into Barack, Barack Obama, turns into the Master, all of these people. <laughs> He's got the world's military at his disposal. He's also wearing a pink dress in, in, a, in one, one character. Yeah, I mean, the number of costume changes he must have had to start. <laughs> to create the effects that they did. He definitely put a shift in John Sim doing all of those costume mm. changes. I take it you didn't find time to watch Utopia, which is when John Sim regenerates into the master. I'm, I'm definitely going to go back and we'll probably work my way through the whole of the David Tennant era. But yeah, it was a, a big old farewell ending to the Doctor. Yeah. You know, the, the, the story really ends with about 15 minutes left. <laughs> and then it's him sort of travelling and seeing all of these people. You know, he sacrifices himself for Wilf, which is really lovely. There's a lot of yeah. a lot of stuff about mortality within this episode, because Wilf, as a character, is very old and is getting towards the end of his life. But the Doctor's also sensing that his time is coming as well. The legacy of all of these people that he's interacted with as he goes through, you know, he meets Captain Jack and he sees them all again. Sarah, what's her name? Sarah Harding, is it? No. Mixing that's girls allowed, isn't it? What's yeah. the character? <laughs> What's the character who had the chronicles? I honestly can't think. Played by Elizabeth Sladden, she's she gets a little scene in there as well. Sarah Jane Smith. Oh, Sarah Jane Smith, of course. And and then just the, his final words as the Doctor in the that episode were, "I don't want to go." Mm. 
which was just again a bit meta in that I imagine David Tennant was the one saying it as well as as the doctor. <laughs> yeah, and not knowing that he's coming back. Yeah, absolutely. But it was lovely, really, really lovely. It was interesting to see Matt Smith coming in right at the end of that episode, and I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure about Matt Smith. So I will be curious to see what we make of the eleventh Doctor when we, when we come to do that. Have you thought about what episode for? Well, a couple of episodes. We've covered about five episodes um, of Pennant. Okay, so again, I've gone. I've, I've looked online at the sort of critically what people have said are the best episodes, and I picked out three. The first one is the Doctor's Wife, which is season six, episode four. When he follows a Time Lord distress signal, the Doctor puts Amy, Rory, and his beloved TARDIS in grave danger. And I think from what I've read is that this is the TARDIS personified. Yes, Saran Jones. That's a good episode. So the second option is Vincent and the Doctor, which is season (laughs) five, episode 10. Uh, The Doctor and Amy Pond meet Vincent Van Gogh and an ancient terrifying monster. I remember that, but I don't remember it being standout. Well, the final one is The Day of the Doctor, which is the Series 7 special and sees David Tennant returning, but the Doctors embark on their greatest adventure in this 50th anniversary special. In 2013, Something Terrible is Awakening in London's National Gallery. In 1562, a murderous plot is afoot in Elizabethan England, and somewhere in space, an ancient battle reaches its devastating conclusion. All of reality is at stake as the Doctor's own dangerous past comes back to haunt him. It wouldn't be the Vincent one, I think Saran Jones and also Rory and Amy. I just think the cat. Well, I mean, the characters are great in all of them. Uh, my my favourite would probably be the Doctor's wife. But happy to do both of them, actually. Yeah. Well, why don't we do that? The Doctor's wife and the Day of the Doctor, because I think yeah. we ought to do the fiftieth anniversary special. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I'd like to see the Doctor's wife as well. And if I get time, I'll add the Vincent and the Doctor one in. <laughs> Okay, so that's what we're watching, folks, if you want to watch along with us. It's now time for our University Challenge section, Neil. You ready for this? Yeah. Okay, so he was born David John MacDonald in Scotland. But what inspired David's stage name? Was it A, his favourite beer, Tenants? B, his domestic status as a tenant in a lodging house? Or C, pet shop boy, Neil Tennant? I don't think it's the fact that he was a tenant, because otherwise I think he would have spelt it like tenant. Maybe that was the whole thing. I'm, it's, it's so, the, the favourite beer tenants is so obvious that I'm going to go after Neil Tennant. That is the correct answer, yes. <laughs> he, he read a, uh, an issue of Smash Hits magazine and decided he was going to turn his name into after Neil Tennant. Wow. At age three, he told his parents he wanted to be an actor. And he was obsessed with Doctor Who from a very young age. Which Doctor did he meet at a book signing event in Glasgow? Was it A, Patrick Troughton, B, John Pertwee, or C, Tom Baker? Patrick Troughton, Tom Baker, what was the other one? John Pertwee. At a book signing. I'm going to go Tom Baker. Uh, you're two for two, Neil. It was <laughs> Tom Baker, indeed, yes. What was um, he signing? Was he signing a Doctor Who book that he hadn't written, or...? I, quite possibly, I didn't. I didn't find that out, but yeah, it was Tom Baker that he met. It was the first Doctor that he met in real life. So I was trying to think which of them was most likely to have written books to do book signings, but he could have been signing, I don't know, a Doctor Who album or something like that. 
Well, I think you were right. I, out of the three, I, I think Tom Baker would have been the most likely to have written the book. So David got his first professional acting job at 16 and made an early television appearance in the Scottish TV sitcom Rabsy Nesbitt as a transgender barmaid called Davina. During filming of Taking Over the Asylum for Scottish drama, David met with an actress he later lodged with for five years and became godfather to her child. Was that A, Ashley Jensen, B, Arabella Weir, or C, Kelly MacDonald? I want it to be Kelly MacDonald. There's something in me. I'm, I'm going to go with Arabella Weir. Uh, Arabella Weir is the correct answer, Neil. Hey! He performed on stage with Ashley Jensen. I think it was in a, an agitprop theatre company. And Kelly MacDonald was just another Scottish actress name that I found. Um, <laughs> Tennant's described theatre work as his default way of being and is probably most famous for his Hamlet on stage. Which of the following is true? A, he suffered a prolapsed disc during previews. B, he worked on a TV version. And C, he featured on a stamp as Hamlet. I'm pretty sure it's the prolapsed disc because his understudy went on during previews and got amazing reviews himself and kind of set off his career. Uh, this is this week's trick question. It was all three all of them. them. <laughs> the stamp was released uh, as part of an RSC anniversary celebration. It's been in, involved in many different franchises, David Tennant. So a voice in Star Wars, obviously performed in Harry Potter, uh, was in the Marvel uh, Netflix show Jessica Jones, and gave the voice to Scrooge McDuck in DuckTales. <laughs> Which of these lists did he not top? Uh, so he came top in two of these. Which ones didn't he top? Was it A, The Pink Papers 2006 Sexiest Man in the Universe, B, GQ's 2013 Best Dressed Man, and C, Playhouse Disney's 2008 Greenest Star on the Planet? And he definitely didn't come top in one of these three. Yeah, in one of these three, he didn't come top of the list. I think he did come top in the Disney one, because that's a very random one for you to make up. <laughs> I think he could have come high in both of the other two. Sexiest man in the universe or best dressed man on the planet. He's a good dresser. I'm going to guess he came second for sexiest man in the universe. It, he came top in that one. It was the Pink Papers, sexiest man in the universe. He came third in GQ's best dressed man. Oh, I see. Right. Um, but yeah, he's he's been in numerous different lists. And there's a whole yeah, I'm sure. Wikipedia page. There's a whole load of them. Uh, but well done. I think that you know, four out of five on the yeah. tenant is is incredibly respectable. It's been a lot of fun. Have you enjoyed seeing more going back and watching David Tennant? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he just about beats Matt Smith as my favourite Doctor. Although I do think with Russell T Davis bringing Chuti Gatwa into it, I think it's a similar kind of dynamic of manicness, but also depth. And I I think we're in for a really good time with Chuti. I'd watched very little of David Tennant's Doctor Who before doing this, and now I am, yeah, hooked and yeah. maybe going back at some point to watch more David Tennant. So yeah, uh, fantastic stuff. Grand. Um, just a little plug, the finale of um, Night Country coming up. Yeah, True Detective Night Country will be recording in a few short days. Very much looking forward to that. Our latest episode was 
thoroughly entertaining. Um, <laughs> lots of debate about uh, different topics, but uh, all done in good humour. And we should have a watch this episode coming out soon. Uh, we should just give a, a little shout out to our Woman in the Wall episodes. And this has been released in the States recently. And we're getting a whole load of listens now for our woman in the world, hmm. which is brilliant. We recorded them some time ago. But yeah, if you want to let us know what you think, maybe you've got a favourite Matt Smith episode you want to recommend that we watch as well. You can get in touch on the social media at TVDNAPod, or you can email TVDNAPod at gmail.com. But we're off. This is the end of our timey-wimey episode. <laughs> and we'll be back next time with Matt Smith. Bye! <laughs>